Our text this morning is John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13, as we find our way back into the gospel according to John. Here's the word of God. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works of you're doing for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly if you do these things show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him Jesus said to them my time is not yet come but your time is always here the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil you go up to the feast I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much murdering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Let's pray together. Lord, again we bow. We seek your wisdom and your grace. We seek you, Lord, and we ask you to do the work that you intend to do in your word with us today. God, be glorified. Take us, change us. Lord, even those among us who who don't even know we need it. Reach into our hearts and show us your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Why doesn't God just... You could fill in that blank with a lot of things, couldn't you? Y'all know there are things, hundreds of things, that we all wish God would do, but God doesn't seem to run the universe the way we would have Him do so. Would you guys agree with that? If you were in charge of the universe, what are some things you'd change? So, for example, would you change the weather? Some of y'all would. Tax code? Would you change who's in power in Congress? Would you change the sound of modern pop music? Heavens, I hope so. Viruses, don't need them. Maybe you would make it humanly possible to fold a fitted sheet. Would you allow metal to go into the microwave? Would you make tacos healthy? You think about it. God's in control. We know God's in control. But there are many things about life that we just don't understand. Why did God let the early church suffer such persecution? Why did God not stop any number of natural disasters that have happened throughout history? Why... Why doesn't God just write it in the clouds that the only way to be saved is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? There's so much about the mysterious ways of God we don't understand. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
There is the answer, by the way. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Why? Why are our thoughts and ways different than God's? Because God is infinite. God is infinite in his knowledge. God is infinite in all of his perfections. He is infinite in his holiness. He is perfect and pure. We are in our nature, what do we sing? Before Jesus saved us, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Y'all know what that feels like? We are, we're limited. We are often foolish. Have you noticed you don't know everything yet? If, if, if you don't, again, you're, you're not married, first of all. Right? We would do much better in our lives if we would learn to grasp that God's ways and God's thoughts are infinitely higher and better than ours. We would find much peace for our souls if we could recognize that God's in charge, doing things in ways that only God can understand, and if we would then learn to trust Him. And learning to trust God and trust God's mysterious ways, that's what our text for today is all about. So today we come back to our study of the gospel according to John. Did you miss it? Yes. Sorry, Terry. All right. We're going to find four points today, okay? All of them begin with one phrase. You can write it once, and it can be for all of them. It's going to begin with the phrase, trust God's ways, and then we'll fill in the end of the sentence. Look down at verse 1. We'll get to our first point in just a second. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So here's the stage the stage being set. After this, after what? After what we just saw happen in chapter 6. If you remember how John has structured this gospel, he's designed it so as to give us glimpses of Jesus so that we might believe in him. Early on in the book, he showed us the deity and the superiority of Jesus. John's already shown us Jesus do what? I mean, we've seen Jesus turn water to wine back in chapter 2. He healed a man's servant from miles away. He healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He fed 5,000 plus people with one guy's lunch. He walked on water. Back when chapter 5 began, we also opened a section of this book for you who are really John students where you're going to keep seeing Jesus in heated conflict between himself and the Jewish religious leaders, and all of it is set against the backdrop of different Jewish feasts and holy days. Chapter 5, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, and he let the Jews know that Jesus has every right to work on that day because he is the Son of God. That did not win him friends with the leadership of the Jews. John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 reads, But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Early on in chapter 5, the Jewish leaders have been wanting to kill Jesus, and it hasn't stopped. 
So the first verse of chapter 7 tells us Jesus wasn't ministering publicly down south in Judea. You know, Jesus came to this world on a mission. And the mission of Jesus is that he would come and that he would die to pay the price for the sins of all he would forgive. So it's not here in John 7 that Jesus is saying he's unwilling to sacrifice his life. The point was he couldn't do it until the time was right. So Jesus did a lot of his ministry during this section in the northern part of Israel, in Galilee. Chapter 6, we saw Jesus in Galilee. He was set against the backdrop of the Jewish Passover, you remember? He was in a wilderness place, kind of like the Jews during the wanderings in the Exodus. Jesus fed the crowds with miraculous food in the desert, like the Father feeding the Jews with manna during that time. Jesus let the crowds know that he is the bread of life, the true source of eternal life for anybody who would come to him in faith. Then Jesus walked across the sea, which reminded us of God miraculously getting the people across the Red Sea when he parted it and allowed them to cross on dry land. So here comes chapter 7, and Jesus begins it in Galilee, and the backdrop here is another Jewish feast. Verse 2 says, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And the Feast of Booths, what you need to know for today, is that's one of those three big feasts during the Jewish calendar year. This occurs about six months after the scene we saw in chapter 6. And we'll talk about what the Feast of Booths is more in a future message when it kind of, we see it coming up in contrast to what Jesus is doing. But what you need to recognize for this passage is, This feast was one of those big required feasts. Men from all over Israel went up to Jerusalem for it. And so there's a feast. It's a feast that draws a huge crowd to the one city. It's on its way. It's coming. Now we get to our first point. Point number one, trust God's ways even when they're not man's ways. Trust God's ways even when they're not man's ways. Look at verses three through five. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him. So on the scene, we get Jesus's brothers. No, actually, they are his half-brothers. Uh, Matthew thirteen fifty-five tells us that four of these guys were named James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. By the way, how, how do you like the fact that Jesus had a brother named Judas? Come on. So, you got to recognize, James there, he's the man, he led the Jerusalem church in the book of Acts. He wrote the epistle called James. Judas you might recognize from his nickname. They called him Jude, and he wrote that tiny little book right before the book of Revelation. But here, in John chapter 7, according to verse 5, none of these men believed in Jesus. Now again, I just want to remind you, what would it take for you to believe that one of your siblings is God in the flesh? I know my siblings. I ain't buying it. 
By the way, what would it say if at the end these men do believe that Jesus is God? Something big must have happened. Well, like typical brothers, these four or more, they want to challenge their older half-brother. You can picture the conversation, right? So, Jesus, you think you're some kind of big prophet, right? You're telling people you're the Son of God. You think you're the Messiah. You better get your PR campaign in order. There are going to be tons of people up at Jerusalem in the feast. Get on down there and show off. Let them know just how powerful you are. Nobody who wants to be a big public figure hides out here in the country. Go to the city. Make a name for yourself. Besides Jesus, about six months ago, there was a big old crowd that stopped following you because you made them mad when you started calling yourself the bread of life and started talking to all that stuff they didn't want to hear. It's got to be time, Jesus, to get your momentum back. Seems like the brothers kind of have a logical point, don't they? Doesn't that sound logical to you? It makes sense to me. Even if they didn't believe in Jesus, they logically reasoned, hey, it's in the city. It's in the big crowd. That's where you're going to make a name for yourself. That's where you're going to get popular if being popular is your goal. You want to be a star. You want to be an important politician. You go to the capital city. You don't go out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, hey, Jerusalem, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? But you know what? The brothers were wrong. You're going to see it all through the way Jesus responds to them. They were wrong about what Jesus' mission was. They were wrong about how the mission of Jesus was going to be accomplished. They were wrong about everything because they were wrong about the ways of God. What about you? How much like the half-brothers of Jesus, deep down, are you? Do you find it hard to trust the ways of God when the ways of the world seem more logical to you? What are some of the world's ways compared to God's ways? All straight Bible stuff, by the way. The world says you should fight to get things your way. Look out for number one. Step on other people to get in your way. What does God say? Well, this is funny. This is is my notes after Sunday school. Kids, the Bible said the last shall be and the first shall be. There you go. Some, some, Some guys and I had a great conversation about this in Sunday school today. The Bible says we should think about other people more kindly than we think of ourselves, more highly than we think of ourselves, valuing them more than we value ourselves. The world says, don't sweat the small stuff. Only be concerned about making sure not to break the big rules and the big laws, right? What does God say? Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Apparently to God, the small stuff matters too. The world says, if your marriage is hard, get out. God says marriage is one man and one woman committed until death, and you can't kill them. I have to add that in for some of you spouses. The worldly thinking church member says what's important is that the numbers keep looking better. 
Jesus, at the end of John chapter 6, let a huge crowd leave him in favor of a small group of genuine disciples. The world says it doesn't matter how you get things done. The ends justify the means. God says right hearts, right attitudes, right actions are as important as right results. The world says your gender is a feeling that you apply to yourself. God says he created us in his image, male and female, one or the other, assigned at conception. The world says all justice has to be done right now. We can't wait. If it isn't just, we've got to tear it down. Every offense must be addressed immediately. God says, do not avenge yourself, but trust in the proper and just vengeance of God. The world says any overarching story that claims reality, that, that, that explains reality and morality, any big story, that is oppression. God says he inspired all scripture to teach, reprove, correct, and train us in righteousness. The worldly thinking church member would say, should I attend on Sunday morning? Well, that's really my choice based on what's convenient for me. God says, do not forsake the assembly. Would you all agree sometimes trusting God's ways can be hard? God's ways are higher than man's ways. God's ways are mysterious sometimes. To the world, God's ways will look illogical from time to time. But if we follow the story of Jesus through to its conclusion, we find that God's ways are the only ways that truly work. Right now, would you take a moment in your heart to ask God to show you one way where your life, you and your life, are tempted to follow the ways of the world instead of the ways of God. And then just talk to God and ask him, help me turn from the ways of the world and to begin following you. Trust God. Trust his ways. You're going to need to pray here. Maybe you need to make this a conversation that you have with a a Christian friend or with your spouse. Jesus wasn't confused by his brother's attempts to get him off track, though. Let's press on, and we're going to see his response in point number two. Point number two begins, trust God's ways even when God's timing doesn't suit your schedule. How many of you would like me to skip this point right now? Trust God's ways even when when God's timing doesn't suit your schedule. Look at verse 6. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. So in response to his half-brothers, Jesus said, Now is not the right time for him to go to Jerusalem for the feast. The brothers want him to hurry up. They want him to get there early, to get there when things open up. Put yourself in a prominent place to get the most attention you could possibly get. Jesus says going early is not the right thing for him to do this time. 
There's a proper moment for Jesus to go to Jerusalem in accord with the will of God. He's not going to ignore that because his brothers have a suggestion that'll make him more popular. By the way, if you study John's telling of the gospel, you're going to notice that several times Jesus makes mention of his hour coming, right? Back in chapter 2, Jesus looked at Mary and said, my hour has not yet come. Later in the same chapter, John's going to tell us people couldn't arrest Jesus because his hour had not yet come. Chapter 12, we're going to see people come to meet Jesus, and, and the Bible will tell us that Jesus knew that at that point his hour had come. The word for hour in John's gospel is often being used to talk about the moment Jesus would go to the cross. But here in verse 6 and again in verse 8, it's not the word hour. It's the word time. John's not trying to get us to think here about Jesus going to the cross so much as Jesus saying to us, he is awaiting exactly the right moment under the will of his father that he would arrive at the feast at exactly the right time. Jesus says to his brothers, y'all, your timing is always fine. Any old time works for you guys. Any old time to leave Capernaum and get to Jerusalem is fine for y'all. You go early, you beat the traffic. That's good. You go at the same time, then you're there with all the big mobs. Some people like that. Are you all all a go early people or arrive with the mob people? I know how you all are, because I know when y'all get here on Sunday mornings, by the way. Some of you all are arrive after things get started, just to make sure that nobody sees me. Um, But for the brothers, it doesn't matter when they go. Because they don't care about the ways of God, right? They're, They're just going. To the person without God in his life, timing for anything doesn't matter, right? People in the world will time their activities and their life changes based on their best understanding of what they think will benefit them the most. That's what Jesus' half-brothers were saying here. But they missed the fact that God's got a plan, that God's unfolding at a pace that only God's going to understand. Let me ask you, though, have you ever had trouble with God's timing? You ever, you ever wanted something to happen in your life, but for whatever reason, it's not happening nearly as fast as you wish? You ever wanted something to, to keep going, but for whatever reason, God allows it to stop? Our ways are not God's ways. Neither is our timing God's timing. When you're sick, you want God to make you better now. When you're enjoying life, you want God to slow the clock down so that you don't have to go back down into the valleys of life. Somebody wants a job. Somebody wants to get married. Somebody wants a baby. Somebody wants those test results to come back. Oftentimes they will struggle wanting God to make things happen now. And when you find yourself feeling like that, You need to take a page out of Jesus' book here. Jesus knew that God the Father had a plan for his life. He knew that the Father's plan not only included the events of his life, but the perfect timing of those events. Y'all, God's always on time. 
God is never early. He's never late. His timing for the things that he has for you in your life will be perfect. God is infinite in his perfections. One of his infinite perfections is his infinitely perfect timing. You want God to hurry up and do something in your life? You want God to slow down the flow of things in your life? Ask God today, God, help me learn to trust that your timing is always best. Third point. You guys know what it starts with? Trust God's ways, even when those ways cause you to lose worldly friends. Trust God's ways, even when those ways cause you to lose worldly friends. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. So just after Jesus tells the guys, now's not the right time for me to go up to the feast, Jesus calls their attention to the divisive nature of his ministry. Jesus tells the half-brothers, you know what? The world's not going to hate you guys. Why not? (laughs) The world's not going to hate them because they think just like the world thinks. They act just like the world acts. They fit in. They approve of what the world approves. They fit in. The world will not hate them because they don't do anything to upset the world's system. But Jesus has a different relationship with the world than do his half-brothers. The world hates Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Look at that phrase. Think about that phrase. The world hates Jesus. Why? The world hates Jesus because Jesus testifies to the world that the deeds of the people of the world are wicked. And if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus says the world's going to hate you for just the same reason. I know it's disappointing. There are those who would try to make Christianity out to be acceptable, Some churches try to make it look kind of cool. Y'all know we're not cool, right? By the way, if you're here and you can't tell we're not cool, you're definitely not cool. (laughs) Many people believe that the church would do much better in society if we would stop preaching about things that annoy society. Don't talk so much about sin. Don't talk about wrath. Don't talk about judgment. Just tell the world... God's way to have a better marriage or how to have better, more well-behaved children. Use the Bible to show you how to advance in in your career and tell them about that. Tell them how to grab a happy thought and internalize it to get their positive thinking going forward. But look at what Jesus said in the Bible here. Christianity is not about fitting in with the world that we live in at all. Can you all stomach that? Christianity is about contrast. Christianity is about telling the world that its deeds are evil. Wait, that sounds judgmental. Yes, it does. God's the judge. Guess what? We can't change that. 
Christianity is about telling the world that its deeds are evil and that God is very upset about that fact. Christianity is about telling the world that its deeds are evil, that God's upset. He's infinitely wrathful toward them because of their sin. But Jesus died to offer them forgiveness. That's Christianity. Y'all get, we start off evil. We, we, we are in a minus from birth, which means you can't ever be good enough to meet God's standard of 100% perfection. God is perfect. God is ready to eternally judge us for our sins, but God offers us the way out of being punished. But the only way is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only way out of the judgment of God is the merciful, loving, gracious forgiveness of God for everyone who will turn away from sin and believe in Jesus. Just out of curiosity, when's the last time you said to somebody, you know, with all due respect, you're not a good person? (laughs) Not recently, right? (laughs) Maybe that's not the way you need to say it, I don't know. You ever look at somebody and say, you know, you're not actually even close to perfect and you are currently on a path that leads straight to an eternity in hell. Again, that might not be the words you want to use as you say it. That message is not likely to win you any friends. But, but, that message that none of us are comfortable saying is a true message. It's the message the world needs to hear if we will add to it. Jesus Christ died to rescue people from the danger they're in before God. Because that's a loving message. It's the only message that can lead you to life. If I look at you, and you may be much nicer than me, and you may be much smarter than me, and you may be much more successful than me. If I look at you and I act like you're okay, but you don't have Jesus, I don't love you. I've got to warn you and say you're in danger of the judgment of God. Not because you're more wicked than me, but because we're all more wicked than God. And my only hope, your only hope, if you want God to forgive you, is for you to bow to Jesus and ask him for grace. That's loving. Anything less than that is me hating you. The world is not going to like us when we preach the true gospel. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Passage after passage tells us, but if you want to be like Jesus, you've got to trust the ways of God, even when those ways cost you worldly friendships. So let me ask you guys, who do you want to please? Are you out to do things in such a way that the world will like you and think you're a good person? If that's what you're after, you cannot be concerned about God. In fact, as Ed Welch would say it, if you're after pleasing the world instead of following the Lord, then people are big and God is small. There's a nice little reminder that coming to adult growth class on Sunday mornings is totally worth it. We're learning good stuff, guys. 
But if you're focused on God, if you're focused on the ways of God, you're going to do the things that God commands in God's ways, even when doing those things in God's way costs you a few pats on the back in society. And now let's watch how Jesus closes the discussion with his half-brothers. You're going to see in it that Jesus is more concerned about God and God's ways and God's timing than their approval. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus says, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Jesus tells his brothers, y'all go on, because he's not going with them. It's not the right time to go to Jerusalem. He's not going to be influenced by these guys. It's kind of like back in chapter 2 when Mary's like, you got to fix this wine problem. And Jesus like, "Uh, you don't get to tell me what to do. But stop and think here for a minute. Do y'all think this was easy? Honestly, do you think it was easy for Jesus to look at his brothers who were giving him the advice and say, no, I'm not going with you, you go on? This is his family. These were his mother's sons. This is not Jesus hanging up on some guy in India trying to ask him about his vehicle's extended warranty. This is family. His unbelieving brothers want him to do a few miracles in public. Don't you think it might have even hurt to say, you guys go on. It's not right for me to go. Folks, Jesus suffered on earth more than just the cross. Jesus felt the sorrow of saying things that he knew his family would hate. He knew the sorrow of saying things he knew his brothers would laugh at and mock. Jesus went through all those struggles that he calls us to go through. And he did things God's way, even when it hurt his earthly relationships. Verses 10 and 11. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Now, whoa there. Didn't Jesus say he wasn't going up to the feast? You all heard that, right? Well, kind of, sort of, but not like you might think. Some of your translations, some of the old manuscripts even put the word yet in there. I'm not yet going up to the feast. That surely is a better understanding of what Jesus said, whether it's in the originals or not. Let me illustrate for you. Let's say that you are a man. Any men in the room? Three of you. Awesome. So (laughs) let's say, because if you're a man and you're in this room, you're invited to my house for a men's Bible study because we have a good time. Yes, gentlemen? All right. So, and and, and sometimes Steve brings tacos. Um, So (laughs) it was a good day. Now, men's Bible study happens at my house at 630. Let's say... There's a couple of guys that have decided we're com- they're coming up early because they want to take me to dinner because they love me. And so they're getting to my house at 4.30 so we can go out and grab dinner and come back. If somebody told you it's 4 o'clock, hey, you got to go up there to Travis's house. If you said, no, I'm not going, or it's not time for me to go, is that you saying that you're never going? No. 
Even if in the context of your conversation, you just the words you came out of your mouth are, I'm not going, that's not you telling them you're not coming to, to be at Bible study at 6.30. It's only you saying that you're not going now. Jesus, when he said to his brothers, I'm not going up, was saying, I'm not going up with you in the way that you're going, in the way that you want me to go, at the time that you want me to go. Probably what Jesus was doing was waiting so that the crowds would get into the city so that while Jesus is traveling on the road, his walking down the road is not causing a big public scene that gets a bunch of attention. He's waiting till the crowds get in the door so just like some of y'all, he can come in and not have, any, not have everybody see him walk in. Jesus was not yet ready for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He would do that, but not yet. There's nothing here that would say Jesus deceived his brothers. There's nothing even here to say that Jesus changed his mind. He told his brothers, I'm not going to the feast with you. It's a timing issue. And Jesus has spoken clearly about his and his brother's timing being different all along. So now since Jesus is late getting to the feast, there's a lot of the Jewish leaders asking each other, where is he? They expected him. They, they didn't want to see him, but they expected him. And if they did want to see him, a lot of them wanted to see him so they could try to catch him and have him killed. But the common people, they were divided in their opinion of Jesus. And it's in their conversation we find our final point. Point number four. It starts with what? Trust God's ways by trusting Jesus. Trust God's ways by trusting Jesus. 12 and 13. And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now the crowds knew the Jewish leaders didn't want to hear anybody talking about Jesus, so all their conversations are quiet little off-the-way chats, right? Nobody wants to be chastised for talking about Jesus. Nobody wants to be dragged off to have a little sit-down with the Sanhedrin. But those quiet conversations were exactly the sort of conversations that absolutely have to happen whenever Jesus is the subject of discussion. Some people say Jesus is good. Some people say Jesus is bad. And you know what? That's a question that every last one of you has to answer. I don't care if you've been a 30-year church member, which is impressive for a church that started in 2013, but good job. I don't care... If you were a church member in a church, if, you, if, you, if you've been on the rolls since you were in the womb, bottom line is for you or for somebody who's not in the church at all, you've got to answer the question, is Jesus what Jesus claimed to be? If he is, he's more than good, he's God. If he's not, he's probably the most evil person ever to live. Those are your options. I guess you could say he was nuts. But you don't have a third op- you don't have a fourth option here. Either Jesus is what he said he is or he's not, and your eternity rests on how you respond to that. What do you say about Jesus? 
If you're going to trust the ways of God, you've got to trust Jesus. One person might say Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. Oh, he was a great moral teacher. I agree with his philosophy, even if I don't accept him as the Messiah and God in the flesh. Somebody else might deny that Jesus ever existed. There are people who have tried to do that. That is not scientifically, historically reliable, just so you know. But either way, whether the person says, oh, I believe he was a good man, or they say, I don't believe that there ever was a guy named Jesus, it doesn't matter. Both of them, both of them is failing to trust Jesus. They're failing to trust God. If you're going to trust God's ways, if you're going to trust God's ways by trusting in Jesus, you've got to trust the things God has said about who you are and who Jesus is. So listen to me. What do you have to say to trust in Jesus? Number one, you've got to trust that Jesus is more than a good man, more than a prophet. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is the only human being ever to live a perfect life human life, and to perfectly do every right thing God demands a person to be. God says, be holy because I'm holy. Only Jesus ever did it. You haven't, I haven't, your mom and dad didn't, even your great grandma, how sweet she was, didn't pull it off. Jesus died a death he didn't deserve to die. And in Jesus's death, Jesus took the punishment from God for all of the sins of all of the people who will ever come to him for forgiveness. Jesus died, was in the grave Friday, Saturday, and on Sunday, Jesus got up, his body was alive again, and he physically walked out of the tomb, a resurrected man. And he proved that the work he did on the cross was complete and acceptable to God the Father, that God is fully satisfied with the payment that Jesus made on the cross one time for all? The first way for you to trust God's ways is to believe in Jesus. Believe that you've sinned before God, because all of us have. Believe that you need God's forgiveness, because all of us do. Cry out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, and submit your life to Jesus to be your Lord, your Master, your King, Listen to me. Whether you want to believe it or not, God promises he will save the soul of every person who comes to Jesus in faith and repentance. I would invite you, come to Jesus. But if you won't trust Jesus, you will stand before God condemned because you've sinned against God and there's no other hope to stand before God other than through Jesus. But to all of us, I say this. Trust God's ways, Christians. Trust God's ways even when they're not man's ways. Trust God's ways even when God's timing doesn't suit your schedule. Trust God's ways even when those ways cause you to lose worldly friends. Trust God's ways by trusting Jesus in every single thing. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, you're good. You're Your love endures forever. Your gospel is good. We so easily forget how good it is that you would have made any way for us to be forgiven. 
that the way that you forgive us is not by us being good and living up to the standard, but instead by us trusting in Jesus, that's glorious. That you would have made a way for us to have life is good. And we say thank you. And I would pray now, Lord, that you will help us today in this way. There are people here today who have trusted you, but it's been hard to follow you. There are people here today that struggle with your ways. I would pray, God, I would pray that you'll help them to remember that you're good and your ways are ways they won't understand and help them to surrender to you and your word. Lord, there are other people here today who don't know you at all. I pray that you would convince them today in a way they've never before been convinced that they need your mercy. And then, Lord, there's a whole room full of people who trust you and they want to trust your ways better. Give them the courage and the strength and the encouragement with the Spirit to stand strong. We pray it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.